Broadcasting from everywhere and nowhere, the Misfit Crew at Southfleet HQ is proud to bring you the Dive Living Podcast. Uh, welcome back to another episode of the Die Living Podcast, brought to you by Softleet, also sponsored by Combat Flip Flops, Freedom Munitions, Loophole Optics, and CrossFit Suisponte in Raleigh and Durham, North Carolina. This week, we are talking to one of our oldest friends, uh, David Delanave owner of Movement Minneapolis, and I would say all-around renaissance man. David is joining us from his, uh, I guess not even that new new location, uh, in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And we are going to be talking about a few different things, but mainly focusing on bread and carbohydrates for both the performance athlete and... Yes. Regular athlete, if I you love, will. I love carbohydrates. And maybe even even non-athlete. <laughs> so <clears throat> without... Cool, man. Thanks a lot for having me. Yeah, man. Without further ado, thanks for coming on. It's always a pleasure to, to chat with you and kind of hear what you're up to. I think for those who don't know him, David is uh, a guy that is a true friend from the internet from many years ago. I feel like maybe even... Closer to a decade ago now than than maybe not. And yeah, for sure. One of the things that I love about you, David, is the fact that you are constantly acquiring new knowledge. You are you are a man that loves to learn and loves to do new things. And recently, I know that you have gotten into well a few different things. One, your restoration of your Honda nineteen eighty six Honda Spree. Yeah, which uh, we won't go into too much detail there, but I just I love that project because I think it totally epitomizes. This is a very David Delanave project, in my opinion. You know, find something, <laughs> t- take it all the way down to like the the core, and then you know rebuild it and go through that whole experience. And you know, with that, I know you've also from our talks and following your social media. You've been doing a lot of learning, doing a lot of learning. You have been learning a lot about bread making, especially with sourdough. And earlier today, you sent me a picture of a softly spaded sourdough loaf that yeah, man. was really fucking cool looking, by it the was. way. Everyone in the office was really impressed, and uh, we definitely we want one now. I don't know nice. if, if you can like lacquer that thing maybe and, and stick it in the UPS <laughs> box. You know? Make it permanent and send it down. All right, cool. Yeah. For sure. But uh, <laughs> in any event, we wanted to, I, th- I think, in, we actually had a conversation earlier about this in the office about how the, the trend, this isn't a new trend, the whole like paleo, keto, super low carb thing is, I think, becoming even more entrenched is kind of, hey, if you're going to eat healthy, yeah. you got to get away from carbs. And especially bread is, uh, you know, amongst all the carbs, bread is the the most evil thing out there for you, maybe next to, you know, Twinkies or something like that. Uh, yeah, like it, it epitomizes the empty carb, right? Yeah, like, sp- like, right. The only thing that's worth is sh- worse is sugar, right? Yeah. So yeah. with that... I wanted to talk to you uh, about your experience making bread, why you got into it, what your experience has been like, and then really kind of get the conversation going about bread as a refined carb, the differences between you know fresh bread and the bread that we see on the grocery store, and kind of talk about, well, if bread's so bad for you, why have people been eating it for you know thousands of years? And uh, right. not not having the problems that we are associated with it today. So, on that note, yeah. So, um, yeah. Go ahead. I mean, that's that's kind of essentially in a nutshell exactly what got me into um, baking sourdough. Um, I just in general, like when I look at my approach to 
whether it be strength training or even nutrition, I kind of just look at like, what's the big picture? What have people been doing for a really, really long time? And what do those things kind of have in common? Um, which really quickly gets you away from the, the fads and the, the fly by night stuff. So I got into bread, um, honestly, because of the Michael Pollan's cook series, um, I had watched the the first episode, which is amazing and features the the butcher shop that Aaron's involved in and Ross. Um, and the later episode on bread, I just had this like almost like emotional reaction to it. I was like, this is freaking amazing. You know, people have been eating bread since essentially the dawn of agriculture. And it's uh basically two ingredients like it's flour and water like we add salt because it tastes better but interesting fact like a lot of places don't add salt to their bread um the specific region of italy that i'm from doesn't add salt to their bread traditionally uh because at some point in history they wanted to fuck off the pope who was taxing salt and they were like we're not going to add salt in our bread anymore um that's amazing tradition yeah, so traditionally they don't use salt anymore. But so basically it's flour and water, two ingredients um, on which you can't survive alone. Like if you had a bag of flour and you were on a desert island, like you would die. But if you made bread out of it, you could live basically indefinitely. So I was like, man, it's so cool that there's this thing that's been around for this long and has this, this core um, part of not only like nutrition and food, but community too. Like Aaron, you had mentioned the community bread oven. Like that's a major thing in in smaller um, communities. And we've lost all of that. Uh, So, you know, say what you will about what we've lost within that. I happen to think it's a bad thing. And that's kind of what got me down the path of of baking sourdough. And I just, I went head first. Um, I grew up with fresh baked bread at home, but my mom just always used yeast. Um, still amazing, don't get me wrong, but I went all the way in and went the naturally leavened sourdough route. Yeah, in fact, on that community note, one of the things I was talking, thinking about since our last conversation was the fact that even the term breaking bread, right? When we talk about having a meal with someone, we use that term, and obviously there are other terms, but it really goes back to a time probably when you know it wasn't, right now you just assume, most people assume, when you think of bread, you don't think of a loaf. Most people don't buy a loaf that's unsliced at the bakery or the grocery store or making their own. So bread just right. comes kind of pre-sliced. But there was a time when that wasn't the case. And sitting down to, to a meal with someone involved, like literally breaking the bread. So I do think that there is a strong element there. And there is that strong kind of community shared meal type thing uh that is incredibly important to us as social creatures but maybe uh maybe we'll hit on more of the cultural stuff i guess as far as your experience what has that been so far oh it's it's super fun um one of the first things you learn when you start to get into bread making is that it's scientific in the sense that we kind of basically understand the processes going on, but it becomes really art in that you can't control all of those variables. It, definitely not in like the home kitchen. If you're in a professional bakery, you know, they've got proofers and things that they can control more variables, but at home, you're very much beholden to like what the weather is, what the humidity is, and you have to push things longer or shorten them up based on how the dough is actually reacting. Um, and there's a lot of like literal, um, like hand skill and feel involved in handling the dough and shaping the loaves that um, you just kind of have to develop and it makes it a fun thing. Like people get really, really, really into it. Like this is like their main hobby. They're, they get super hype and I never get that deep into anything. It's just not how I operate. I like to kind of dive in, get enough of it to make it useful and then kind of move on to the next thing but you can go really really deep um and even just scratching the surface i've been baking now like once or twice a week every week since the first of the year and it wasn't a resolution or anything it just coincided with with january um and it's been fun i learn stuff every week it gets a little bit better sometimes it gets worse and i go oh yeah i know i know what i did wrong there 
Um, but it, it's always fun and it's really, you know, like any kind of cooking is you get into it, you get engaged, you get into barbecue, it gets exciting and you want to try to experiment with new things. I was laughing my ass off at your Instagram story about the uh, chocolate cherry sourdough. And <laughs> in the in the the vein of a, a beer tasting, uh, it was not only was it funny, but also in the same sense that bread is basically just viscous beer, right? Or beer rather is viscous bread. And so there is actually like an element of truth to if you're going to someone that's going to sit down and think about beer in that way, bread is basically the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. They call, uh, they call beer liquid bread. It's essentially the exact same process. You're just letting more alcohol produce with the beer. Yeah. Another thing that I'm thinking here is you were talking about controlling the conditions in the kitchen and this is a conversation that we've had about hunting in the past, is that with hunting, one of the things that is so amazing about it is that it really ties you deeper into nature, right? So when you walk through the woods, you're really paying attention to things that you wouldn't, or at least I wouldn't, have paid attention to before. Are, are there you know, rub marks on trees? Where Are you seeing you know, different types of animal scat? What do the things smell like? I think you're way more in tune to the details of what's going on in your environment around you. And my guess is it sounds like bread is basically giving you that same thing outside of the woods, making you think more about what time of year is it, what is the temperature like, really kind of grounding you into you know, the moment or the day more than you might be because obviously this is knowledge that people used to have when they were baking bread. People, you know, it wasn't uh, bread was not originally made in super temperature controlled and humidity controlled environments. Yeah, right. So, in any well, event, so like as as an example, one of the things that we very much lost is like the seasonality of food, right? Like you can get asparagus in the dead of winter, um, you know, and that's the kind of thing like bread if if you're beholden to the temperature outside and the oven heating up the house when it's already 90 outside and so on and so forth like you have to make adjustments and there's probably some benefits that we can't even begin to understand to that type of seasonality and it it kind of ties you into that like i i've i've gone to one sourdough class and there was a a guy and his mother there it was really cool she was from india and she was from Southern India, which if you're from Northern India and Southern India, like your your food is completely different because of the temperature different, right? So she was asking questions about like, how do you keep a sourdough starter when your ambient temperature is like north of 80 degrees? And she would have to do something completely different than what somebody like say in the north where they have much, much lower ambient temperatures would have to do. And all that stuff plays into probably honestly making better food for you if you're eating locally and seasonally so yeah it it all ties in so then then that being said then if we were to take a look at this from a performance standpoint and then how you know bread and carbs and things like that have gotten such a negative rap i think in a lot of diets do you think part of that possibly is is you know the human race through gmos or whatever has now no longer beholden to the seasonality of food and we can eat this as much as we want, as long as we want. And, you know, does that, you think that kind of plays into bread getting cut out of a lot of diets? I think it does for sure. I mean, Brooke, I think if you want to talk about the fortification side of things, then I can talk about the time aspect with bread that I think is kind of interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think you touched on a really important point, Chris, that now we have all of these foods available to us all the time and unfortunately a lot of it is something that's in a box or a bag in a grocery store that has been extremely processed and in some cases fortified um but the big thing that happened with can you talk sorry can you tell what what do you mean when you say fortified can you explain that a little bit more so the usda decided to add certain ingredients into products to fortify them to help off offshoot all these deficiencies and problems they were seeing from the American diet, basically. So all of our breads and cereals and pastas are like fortified by the USDA to have things like folate that are actually present um, in whole grains if you would have left them that way, but they were stripped out to kind of mass produce food to make things like really available. 
And um, instead of recognizing, oh, by trying to speed up this process, we took out a lot of good stuff, they just created something else and marketed it even more. So um, one of the big ones that we learn about um, in school was neural tube defects and spina bifida in children because pregnant women weren't getting enough folic acid which is in whole grains. But the thing is, when they stripped down flour to make it white, they just left the endosperm. They stripped the bran and the germ, which are where the fiber, the B vitamins, all the good stuff is. So it created this problem that the government decided could be fixed by putting more things back into food. But then you have this whole argument of, well, is our body actually going to absorb these things the same way as if we were giving it the natural form in food? And a lot of the times people argue, no, Uh taking a multivitamin is not the same as if you were to eat the vitamins naturally available in food. So the answer is that instead of processing less, process it even more to get that stuff back in. That's what they did. And I think it's created like a serious problem. I think that so many people claim to have these gluten insensitivities. And I think really they're having a reaction to the way all these things have been super processed because bread shouldn't have 30 ingredients on a label. Right. Should just have two. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, Douglas Adams said, if you try and take apart a cat to see how it works, the first thing you have is a non-working cat. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. I'm actually going to write that one down. (laughs) And if you, it's sort of the same thing, like, like Brooke said, you know, they looked at the specific ingredients that were the micro ingredients that were missing and they're like, Oh, well, we'll just add those back in. Well, it's entirely possible that it doesn't quite work that way. You know, that those, those, uh, parts are not inseparable from from the whole the other thing is so bread takes a certain amount of time to make like right it's basically a full day process depending on when you start and finish but um like the bread that i baked this morning i actually started two nights ago when i made the leaven from the starter and then in the morning i made the dough in the afternoon i made them into loaves i left them in the fridge to uh to proof overnight and then i baked them in the morning if you're a capitalist trying to make as much money as possible selling back the like most core sort of uh, food, you can't afford to take that long. So you have to speed the process up. Right. So the first thing that the commercial bakers did was they cut down all those fermentation times and jammed it into the least amount of time possible. And then they, what the result was, like Brick mentioned, people started getting sick from it. From, yeah, did I lose you guys? No, we no, got we're you. We're still here. We're still, yeah. Okay. I mean, it, it, it's cool. a really we're absorbed in the knowledge. Yeah, that's true. My I actually, videos. I mean, I, I, I like you also. Also, hail from from Italy, so I did have grandparents who would routinely go through the process of making fresh fresh break bed, and I don't know. I mean, it 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 was one of those things where, you know, when we talk about food, I think shaping the culture that we live in and the culture that you grew up in and how you react to that food. Um, I mean, just to like watching my, my grandparents try then after, you know, baking their own bread for, you know, 50 years, they, they couldn't go to the processed food. They would, it would almost just be like the, the quality was so not there and watered down that, they just, they would just stop eating it. So I, I mean, and I think a lot of it has, you know, we grew up, I grew up, you know, eating iron kids bread from the bag in my sandwiches. Like I didn't, my, my parents did not continuously break like that, that tradition kind of stopped with my grandparents. So I think, you know, a lot of it. And then ironically, then once I cut bread out of my diet, you know, the majority of my diet, um, it actually suddenly like fresh break. There's like nothing better than fresh baked fresh bread. Pretty you know, awesome. it's like, it's, it's like when now it's a treat, you know? So yeah, I guess, I guess where I was going with all that is I, I wonder, and I don't know, maybe Brooke would have some more insight on this, but like the, the food and the recipe that you grew up with, like as a young kid, you know, once you started eating solid food, you know, bread's like one of the first things that you start eating as a child, you know, cause it's soft and you can, kind of roll it around in your mouth easily yeah you know how how does that you know how does that impact like the foods and the carbohydrates that you kind of take in then later on into adulthood like if you started if you started with processed 
Like, do you end with process because that's just what your digestive system is used to or what? Well, I was definitely one of those kids that um, my mom hated to cook. And so like TV dinners, processed foods were my diet. But that's kind of what led me into my field. Right. Because I was like, this isn't healthy. Chef Boyardee is not a legit meal um, and kind of changed my lifestyle to lead me that way. But a lot of people argue if you think about like childhood obesity and things on the rise, kids eat a lot of processed foods. Mm. And um, so it's definitely something to think about if that's how you're starting your life. And usually those habits kind of dictate where you're going to keep going. So if you eat a lot of processed foods, I'm probably more of an anomaly that I like switched, I guess. Mm. But I think that trend started in the 50s and probably peaked in like the 80s and 90s, right? You know, fat's really bad, eat as much processed yeah. food as possible. And it's really only maybe in the last decade or, you know, 50, probably more decade that we've seen this move back to whole foods and farmers markets and, you know, local sustainable agriculture. And for most people, that's still not something that they're either knowledgeable about or able to include in their lives, definitely every day, but even on a, on a you know, more kind of grand scale. But at least we're seeing those movements kind of resurge. And even with fitness, right? I mean, you had that coincide with the, you know, the, I don't know, the, I forget the, the machine that had like the flexible, Flexible the bars, the, the Bowflex machine, so. and the Nordic <laughs> track, and you know, even just the whole like circuit trading, like cable machines at the gym, and that's what led to kind of the whole no free weights and all that. You know, all that stuff was tied together, right? And now we're kind of trying to pull back away from that, but it's a slow process. Well, and that's like, but that also brings up an interesting point, and I wonder. I mean, to 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 bring this all back to bread, then. You know, when you when you look at the evolution of of fitness and sport, you know, especially over the last hundred years, and how much how much of the American diet has changed over the last hundred years. You know, we as a as a species and a culture, we have accelerated sports. You know, if if like the night, you know, there's a great book called The Sports Gene. You know, if the 1904 gold medalist raced the 2004 gold medalist in the marathon, the 2004 gold medalist would win by almost an hour. You wow. Know. And they're, and they're, they're both Olympians and they both have the sure. same event, you know, and, and, and arguably there's really cool formula one pit stop video. That's yeah. Somewhere as well. yeah. Yeah. But it's like, it's like arguably, you know, human evolution hasn't changed a whole lot in the last, in the last century. But what we have seen is, is we have seen the American diet and the diet of our culture change and go from like this, you know, you know processed food push to now like this, you know, super healthy paleo and, and and insert your fat diet here. But, but the demand of the human body in sport has exponentially increased. Like we're trying to do things now and break records now that, that we've never done before. But, but arguably that now requires a different set of food to go along. I mean, food's your energy. So it's like, you know, are we, so that being said, you know, when, when we look at like, the balance of processed and not processed foods like you know do we with something like bread you know is that something that you can you know reincorporate back into your diet if you you know are trying to get you know trying to do these ultra high endurance events you know 100 plus yeah. mile races where you need a different kind of carbohydrate well let's, let's try and answer that question and maybe break it down all the way to the beginning um you know david can you tell us so you talked about sourdough before and that's kind of what you've been getting into yeah. Let's 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 talk about what is what what are the blocks of this, you know, this thing bread. And we know that it's water and flour. What is sourdough yeah. and why is it different than other breads and how do you make it? Sure. So, um j- just to kind of acknowledge Chris's point and tie it into the answer to that. Like I think it's a really good point and I think it's easy and dangerous to go down the sort of naturalistic fallacy route of like the way it's always been is better. And it's like, well, dude, we're doing things that we weren't capable of before. Maybe now we need slightly different things. And I think in some cases that's true. Um, But I also am 
exceedingly skeptical when and when anyone is like in the last you know five years we've figured out something that humans have never known right and this is a better way to perform right hey if if so, there if if there's a cookie in that cave and the and the caveman ate it then cookies would be paleo so <laughs> yeah exactly so um so i that's why i look to like okay what have we always done so in a way, you could call bread, uh, sourdough bread, or like naturally leavened bread, you could call it three ingredients. It's basically flour, water, and thyme. So what you're doing is you're taking advantage of the naturally occurring bacteria um, in the air and in the flour to leaven the bread or to, to uh, cause it to rise. Because if you don't have air trapped in the bread, you don't have bread. You have like really hard packed dough that you could probably like build your, your hut with. Is that but because as soon as oxygen it bubbles, has to react with bacteria or? Right. Well, so they, they, they consume oxygen and they, and they poop out CO2, right? So your, your bread is. <laughs> we do that too. Uh, That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> your, your bread is filled with carbon dioxide. That's what the, the bubbles are. And then that causes. Um, a whole taste sensation when you eat that bread that has CO2 trapped in it and it pops in the back of your throat and so on and so forth. So the way that you start a sourdough starter is basically just taking some flour and water and leaving it sit for, it depends on the temperature and stuff like that, but let's just say a few days, it'll kind of start bubbling. And then you take that bubbling mix, you throw away most of it, retaining just a little bit, and then you add new flour and water. And you just keep repeating that process. And what that does is you're throwing away the majority so that you get rid of some of the acids that start to build up. Otherwise, eventually it becomes so acidic that it's inhospitable. So you throw away most of them. You add new flour and water, which acts as essentially food. And you repeat that process until you've built up a strong enough colony um, to where you can use that on a single loaf and it's going to be effective and that's what essentially a sourdough starter is so like i started my own um and then i also got one from uh this cafe that i went to this um this class at and so that's kind of a hack that i learned along the way um if i were getting into it right now i would just go to a local cafe or bakery that does naturally leavened bread and i'd be like hey can i have a little bit of starter because you, you have to understand they throw away probably gallons of it every single day because they have to. It's just part of the process. Um, but they'd be more than happy to give you some. And that's also a quick aside. The cool thing about having to throw away a little bit every day is that throwaway is actually useful. That's what I use to make uh, waffles and pancakes, um, sourdough, buttermilk, waffles. And so like a side bonus of sourdough bread is you increase your quotient of uh sourdough waffles that you have for breakfast in the morning which we've been having a ton of and they're fucking amazing of course right so what do you have to do to maintain that starter so that the culture or you know yeast actually i don't even know what it is doesn't die you know if you go out of town for a week what do you, you know do you have to come back yep. and find a new cafe no, so once it once or twice a day, depending on your your how you want to maintain your starter, you throw away the majority of it, and then you retain a little bit and add new flour and water. I've been doing it twice a day, just morning and night. Only takes a couple minutes um, because I want to keep it really, really, really active. Um, you could get away with once a day. You could even get away with once a week. The only caveat to that is if you do it once a week, you kind of have to wake it up and do a couple feedings before you want to bake with it. Um, it's tough to bake with it straight out of the fridge. If you want to save it for much longer periods of time, you can. So if you're going to go on vacation for a month or two or whatever, you can actually keep that starter alive um, and then revive it when you come back. But we won't get into that. All right. Well, I'm curious about that for a future conversation. So this is just a yeah, question fill, out of this is a question out of my own ignorance because I really so did did bread like when when humans started making bread was it it was sourdough bread? Yeah, like that was yeah, it. So that absolutely. was that, like that was like the paleo bread. Then if we look at it that way, yeah. Okay. Exactly. And so obviously at some point we figured out like, oh, we can actually isolate the yeast that are occurring in here. We can dry those out and we can sell them in a grocery store. Um, 
and just the yeast, and that's what we would call like commercial yeast now, right. um, that have been also like bred to be incredibly effective at a wide range of temperatures and so on and so forth. But yeah, for you know thousands and thousands of years, everyone kept a little bit of you know they might have called it the mother um, to to inoculate their their dough. Right. So what? Tell me since January. Describe what your your learning progression has been like. How does your bread now compare to when you first started? Yeah, honestly, it's it's night and day. Um, like the first few loaves were more than that's and that's another cool thing. Like it's more than edible. It's good. I mean, I'd say the first few loaves of bread I made are still better than almost anything you would buy in a grocery store. Maybe not better than like a good bakery. Um, but when you first get started, oftentimes your starter isn't like active enough to really like give you enough leavening action. So you get kind of like a flat dough. Uh, the other thing is you generally don't know how to handle the dough. You don't know what it should look like at different stages. So you don't get as much, um, you don't get as much air trapped in it. That's really what it comes down to. Like really, really good tasty bread is um, like a matrix of dough with really thin walls that has tons of gas bubbles trapped in it. Um, and you can have different preferences of how big of holes you want and so on, but really tasty bread has lots of holes in it and thin membranes. That's that light, like airy texture that just is amazing. Um, and not as great bread is going to be a lot more dense. So the biggest like change for me was I started to learn how to develop more strength in the dough and the strength comes everybody knows that gluten is like the the stretchy molecule in bread right so the strength is the ability of that gluten to hold one of those air bubbles together without letting it pop and and cave in on itself um you can have too much strength in the dough to where it can't expand those bubbles. So it's kind of a balance. But my uh, weakest link was I wasn't getting enough strength. And after I learned how to develop that, actually, and that's where the class came in, the sort of connection I made with that class was I realized I wasn't getting enough strength in my mixing. So I switched over to using my KitchenAid instead of doing it by hand. And since then, it was like night and day. And now my bread is like, I would honestly like put it up against any cafe bakery bread um, in like a blind taste test, and I, I bet you wouldn't be able to tell the difference. It's really, really, really good. And I'm not using fancy flours. I'm just using like grocery store King Arthur, you know, good quality, but not like fancy flour. Yeah. What I mean, how important is the the flour selection on the bigger bigger scale? It's listen, man, if you have two ingredients in something, it's super important, right? Right. So you do want to use some good stuff. King Arthur is actually really well known, even though it's a grocery store brand as being like really high quality. Um, right. Now uh, you can find all sorts of like really small batch artisan, you know, freshly milled grains that are available online. Um, so, yeah, that stuff matters. I haven't even begun to scratch the surface of diving into um, you know, exciting stuff. Also, another thing that's really cool is einkorn, which is like the first strain of wheat that humans cultivated. That's a super popular thing to make bread out of now, um, which is kind of interesting. Huh. I, what What is that? Uh, it's, it's just a strain of wheat called einkorn. Um, I forget what the name of the typical American wheat is. Um, so, does but, it come as, know, it's flour, basically the same, it's processed the same way? Yep, exactly. You can buy it already as flour. Gotcha. All right. Um, so, as a as a gym owner and someone that is obviously into fitness, you know, you do a lot of uh, you know custom one on one programming with people. How yeah. has bread affected your you know your fitness since January or your performance in the gym? I assume you're you're eating more bread, right? Yeah, <laughs> eating a ton of bread and waffles and pancakes. Um, Honestly, I'm just going to say, I'll kind of pitch this over to Broke a little bit. Like, I'm going to say, for me, it's been no effect to the extent that, like, I feel great just as I did before. Um, I, you know, I basically just treat it like a carb source, like any other. Um, but I will say that my wife, Jen, 
noticed that some kind of like stomach stuff that was bothering her seemed to get it seemed to improve quite a bit coinciding with when I started baking the bread. Like I'm not going to claim that it cured her or anything, but I'm just telling you that fact. Like she noticed a difference when she started eating um, the sourdough. Well, I think it's interesting. So like we've been talking about the sourdough is slow fermented and you're letting all these natural processes occur. But when you take bread that you buy in a store, it's been processed really quickly and they actually add more gluten to it because they need to get that same texture without the time. So I think that that also could be contributing to a lot of these GI issues people see or these gluten insensitivities, that maybe it's really just the additives and the over gluten that you're gonna get out of a processed grain. So that's definitely really interesting that she, I'm gonna start eating sourdough bread now and see how it goes. Yeah. I was like, is there a bakery th- around here? Yeah. Like, there actually is a, a pretty awesome experiment, bakery. It's a experiment, I'll tell you that yeah. much. It's about two <laughs> blocks away. So, yeah, I guess you think you're going to continue to bake bread, David, or are you going to find a good local bakery in Philadelphia? Dude, honestly, all right, so first of all, next time I come down, I'm going to bring some starter, and I'll uh, I'll bake you guys some bread. Yes. And then uh, I'll bring some extra starter, and Brooke, you can, you can take it from there. I definitely want to um, learn. I honestly will probably keep baking like in perpetuity. Once you get the hang of it, it seems really overwhelming at first, but once you get the hang of it, it's really, really not hard. Um, you know, I've been baking for like four months, which in the in the scheme of like learning a new skill or ability is nothing. And I honestly feel like I can almost do it in my sleep. Um, it's just really not that hard. And, and the payoff is huge. Not to mention like, you know, good sourdough bread from a bakery is like eight to ten bucks a loaf, and you're you're producing uh, probably four or five loaves out of a two or three dollar bag of flour. You know, it's like it's a pretty good yeah. way to save a lot of money there. No yeah. doubt, man. So, so I was to say from so this is that a this is just me being curious. So from a from a performance standpoint, and we look at things like nutrient timing and things like that. So when you talk about like you're eating more bread, right? Like. Do you, so you talked about, you know, sourdough waffles in the morning. Do you add bread to every meal? Do you wait for a certain time of day? Do you, how does that, how does that coincide with your training? Yeah, that's a great question. Honestly, I personally do not nutrient time at all. Um, I just don't, I don't care enough. Um, so for me, it's just a, it's just a carb source. Like if I want some carbs with a meal, I might make some potatoes, I might add some rice or I might throw a couple slices of bread on there. Um, I, I tend to, I tend to um, tolerate carbs really well. I'm Italian. I think your genetic heritage does play a huge role in that in terms of what you're going to tolerate well. And I think you should look to, I don't think it's a hundred percent by any means, but I think you should look to your ancestry for some clues about what Mm -hmm. might be the best things for you. Um, but I usually eat, you know, carbs with breakfast. I, basically, I eat carbs with every meal. And if you're training enough, the, yeah. you probably need them anyway. How many grams of carbs would you say you're eating a day? Uh, probably two to 300. All right. All right. But if I'm, you're an active person, I mean, that's probably right on the money. Yeah. No, yeah, I, so not a ton, but a fair amount. Yeah. I'm picturing, you know, like I see these pictures on your Instagram of, you know, like two or three loaves of sourdough, and I'm just picturing you consuming, you know, like multiple loaves of bread per day. And <laughs> if, if not, like, where is all the bread going? Well, it's really a great thing to give to friends, right? So I've been doing a lot of that. All right. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess, like, under the, the same social norm, like, you know, bread kind of like being like that liquid or that solid state beer, it's like it's like giving a fine bottle of whiskey or bourbon yeah hell yeah it's actually been really cool uh this local guy who uh he's like a local chef uh used to run a uh like a like a private food service like small um reached out he's like hey man do you want to trade some fresh churned butter for a loaf of bread i'm like fuck yeah absolutely so like we've been trading stuff back and forth and it's just a really it's it's a great thing to give people like i've yet to have anybody turn down a loaf of fresh baked bread 
Yeah, well, I can't picture anyone looking at a loaf of bread being like, fuck you, man. <laughs> <laughs> like, why, why would you think I ever want this? I'm keto, bro. Uh, yeah, I'm keto, exactly. Bro. You asshole. What are you trying to do to me? Well, so how long does the bread last? Uh, just like everything else that's fresh, you're not putting any preservatives in it. You know, it doesn't have any of the fortifications. And I've noticed when we buy fresh bread from a bakery that not only does it obviously get harder much more quickly, and so that's another question. How do you store it? Because, yeah, I mean, that first day, amazing, right? Second day, you're like, yeah, yeah. I don't want to eat this anymore. And then how long does it take before it gets moldy, and what can people expect? Yeah, super good question. So um, the one of the downsides is, like, yeah, if you just leave it, like, in the counter in the bread box or something like that, it's basically good like the day you bake it and then no more (laughs) what i've found is if you put it in a plastic bag and put it in the fridge it keeps for at least a week which is kind of surprising um yeah i have yet to allow it to get moldy so i can't even speak to that i just eat it too quickly but it'll last a week the only catch is you kind of want to throw it in the toaster oven um just to kind of warm it up and crisp it up a little bit if you take it out of the fridge like I, if you like cold food like that, maybe you would like it. I don't. Um, cold bread. Mm. Yeah, cold bread, exactly. But that's the cool thing is, like, you can throw it in a bag in the fridge, and it easily lasts a week. Like, I've pulled out loaves that, like, let's say I baked two, and I didn't give one away, and the second one went in the fridge, and I'm like, man, this thing isn't even going to be good anymore, and it's just as good. So wow. that's a really cool aspect of it, Yeah. Yeah. Brooke, do you know what people are putting, or not people, but companies? I mean, when we talk about, hey, you go buy a loaf of bread and there's 30 ingredients on the label, what are those ingredients? And are there studies? I'm sure that, well, I'm guessing maybe there are, but uh, do you know what the kind of studied effects of those preservatives are? I don't know as much about the preservatives, but a lot of the times they're adding the preservatives, the fortifications, and then they're also adding a lot of gums to give mm-hmm. it the texture since you're speeding yeah. up that process. And actually, um, when you do elimination diets, those gums are a lot of the things you eliminate because they think it can cause gut inflammation and like leaky gut. Um, there's not as much research to maybe solidify that, but it makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. Th- um, so a lot of the times if you flip it over, you're going to see those additives and then the preservatives and, um, gums and things like that they're adding to it to give it the texture to speed up the process kind of thing so they're kind of just like faking it is what you're saying they are all right it's because we want to eat them everyone wants it year round and all the time so yeah and i don't want to totally de like demonize grocery store bread because i know for a lot of people they might not have the time or the interest to make bread there's definitely a place for it i just think um, especially with athletes because it is a high glycemic carb, it can be really helpful during workouts or after. Mm-hmm. Um, like on his runs, George will eat peanut butter jelly sandwiches because right. it's a good high glycemic immediate carb. Um, so for some people, that's okay. If you're going to do that, though, I would say try to choose a whole grain bread from a company that doesn't use as many additives and preservatives would mm-hmm. be your best bet if you're willing to spend the money. So whole grain bread versus sourdough, fresh out of David's oven. Which one are you going to go with? Fresh sourdough, right. for sure. <coughs> and then I would say whole grains, and then your like stereotypical like Wonder White bread. Kind Wonder of thing. White bread. Do the preservatives have any effect on how we break the food down in our stomachs? I would think that if you're adding chemicals to make it more stable, make it harder for mold to eat, that that's also affecting how we are digesting the food as well. Well, here's my theory, and this is. I don't really don't have a lot of research to back this up, but in my train of thought, like you're saying, we're ingesting all these things and we're starting to see a lot of problems with gut health and really poor gut microflora because we're not eating things that are naturally fermented like sourdough bread and all these, we're not letting those things happen. And instead we're eating all these like additives, preservatives, even things like stevia and stuff are being, all of a sudden we're seeing gut health problems and possibly contributing um, to all kinds of stuff, and now they've even linked that to obesity. So it's kind of interesting to think about. I yeah. would like to dig deeper into that research for sure. Um, David, looping back well, to... And, oh, sorry, go ahead. Well, and the thing too is about the research is like, 
<laughs> I'm not, <laughs> I don't want to sound like a conspiracy theorist, but there's like truly billions upon billions of dollars of incentives not to research that stuff to any degree that would that would bring about any kind of like massive scale changes in our food system. So, you know, sure. it's, it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, you can dig into the research, but most of the research going to be, is going to be shit because they don't, right. they don't want to look to find what they don't want to find. Right. Well, they, I think that the United States set out to fix this problem of food security. And if you look at it, they kind of did. So like there's some people yeah. in areas yeah. that are probably like, you should just be thankful for the food you get. And, you know, definitely true. But I think if we have the luxury of choosing what we eat, we should definitely be more mindful. Sure. No, that makes a lot of sense. Um, going back to the social aspect of it and the community aspect, since you've started bake, baking bread, you know, you mentioned before that bread is an awesome gift to give to people. You know, have you found, are you guys inviting people over for dinner more? Are you going to, to other people's houses for dinner? Has, has mealtime become more of a social thing since you've started baking bread? And are there, I mean, man, do you even know, like, are there community ovens in Philadelphia? Are there, or those types of things popping up? I would think that with all the different, like, maker labs and, you know, food halls and all this different type of thing, you know, community city gardens, that that would be maybe the next evolution of that. You know, that's a really good question, actually. And I wonder if I wonder if we're just a little too early on the curve, because like sourdough bread baking is kind of like hip right now. It's getting more popular. And I wonder if you're going to see that as sort of like a lagging indicator where you see the the community ovens popping up. Um, I could definitely see that. And there are we can talk about that briefly. Um, So just to briefly cover the the social aspect of it i wouldn't say that it's changed much for us because that's something and again i don't know if it's because i'm italian or what but we already really enjoy inviting people over for dinner and stuff like that so it hasn't really changed that so much um but i think for somebody else it might be the catalyst for that um about the oven thing that is really interesting um there are some benefits to uh like a commercial size or like a commercial oven that you can't get in the home oven or uh, potentially like wood fired. There's a, there's a device called a rock box. Have you seen those Aaron? No, no, I haven't. It's, it's like a outdoor uh, wood fired pizza oven. So you can get up to like really, really high temperatures oh, for it, pizza. Is it stainless steel with like a, a really tall stovepipe exhaust? Yes, All exactly. Right. I have seen that. So, I would love to get one of those partly for pizza, but also for bread. I think that'd be super freaking cool. Um, but just to briefly cover this. So the main benefit of a commercial bread oven is that it has steam injectors. Mm-hmm. So when the baker loads the, the loaves into the oven, closes it, pushes a button and it injects steam in there. And what that steam does is it kind of softens the surface so that it can expand a little bit more than it normally would before the heat traps it and, and kind of sears the surface so that it can't expand anymore. And you can get um, some really, really high-end home ovens that have the the steam injectors, but it's really not accessible to most people. Um, there are ways that you can try to simulate the steam, but <laughs> I actually have a friend who has broken her parents' oven multiple times by trying to spray water in there and like hitting the bulbs and stuff like that. So the, the tip here is most home sourdough bakers bake in a, a cast iron Dutch oven. And the reason for that is you put the loaf in the Dutch oven, you close it, and it traps some of the steam that's going to escape from the bread anyway and gets you, you know, some large percentage of that effect. It also provides a really big heat sink. Like I take my oven up to 500 when I'm baking, and then I drop it down when I load the the bread in so that cast iron holds a lot of heat. Um, they're super cheap. I got this one from lodge for, I think it was literally $20 and I actually use it upside down. So, um, it's easier to put the loaf on the, the low pan and then put the cover on top of it. Um, and it works really, really, really well. It's really hard to get good results in just a regular home oven, but that Dutch oven hack works incredibly well. What about wood-fired ovens? Is that something that you're seeing 
more and more people try and experiment with. I know that's that's a huge trend, like you said, in the the wood fired pizza space. And you know, there's a huge forum. I forget what it's called right now, uh, but there's a giant forum on the internet with all kinds of wood fired, you know, pizza oven, uh, you know, uh, recipes. Not only for the pizza, but then also architectural plans on how to build your own in your backyard and all this other kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, so it's one of those things that's like totally inaccessible, right? But now because of things like the rock box and, and stuff like that, it's it's becoming something that you can actually get your hands on. So yeah, I think you're going to start seeing a lot more of that. Yeah. I think it's cool. I know we have, uh, well, I was sitting on our deck just a couple days ago and my wife told me that she will forever hold over my head the fact that I talked her into us building a pizza oven in our backyard, like a brick oven pizza. <laughs> uh, because every time we use it, either the pizza turns out like shit or, you know, I have to commit basically four hours to starting the fire, warming up the stone. Yeah. You, know, you, you don't just like flip the switch and you're ready to go, right? Um, and I, I guess from an energy usage standpoint, especially if you're not feeding a lot of people, um, you know, hey man, I'm gonna burn this fire for four hours to heat up this oven and like cook myself a pizza with you know however many logs I burn. It's kind of uh, I guess <laughs> maybe this is like hippie Aaron coming out, but it seems like a, like a lot of a lot of wood to burn for a small meal. Uh, but that's what you know makes me think about, especially in dense urban areas, how cool to be to have these community ovens, I don't, maybe it doesn't work with people's work schedules and whatnot, kind of showing up throughout the day to to bake their bread, but, you know, I'm picturing, like, a messenger bag with, like, a sourdough, like, <laughs> you know, dough holder in the on the side. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe. That's the, but Dude, that's, I, that's the life lesson, though, right there. That it's not, whenever, whenever humankind has tried to speed up time, it never works out. Like uh, I bet you, you, I bet you that you can't cheat time. They can't. You cannot cheat time, and you end up paying for it in the end. I bet you that pizza would be super tasty, though. It's good if you give I it mean, the time to let the oven heat up. That's the thing. Like that's that, that's that's the magic ingredient. Doesn't yeah. matter what it is you're doing. So time. well, the question now is, can this new stainless steel pizza oven deliver the results? I think. Sounds like there's only one there's way, only to, one find way to find out, right? <laughs> I think we're gonna have no, to test it out. Chris is spot on, man. It's just it comes down to time. Like humankind is constantly trying to cheat that, and like yeah. you know, it works out decently well depending on how many of the externalities you look at and account into the the equation. Sometimes and other times it works out absolutely catastrophically, and I, I think you're starting to see more and more of the catastrophic results of, of kind of trying to cheat that time. Yeah, it's a fact, yeah. man. Well, in, I think in the fitness industry, we've been aware of this for a really long time, right? All the yeah. lose 40 pounds in two weeks and, you know. <laughs> yeah, the, just don't eat anything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh, you want to lose 40 pounds in two weeks? Just, just die. That's, <laughs> exactly. That's the best way to do it. Uh, but I think that it's it's easy to seduce people with that kind of marketing ploy of right. hey this thing that should take you forever we're going to show you how to do it in two seconds and yeah. the reality is that i think just all, the other side of it is that the payoff that you get the the feeling of success and accomplishment that you get yeah. from learning how to do this stuff and going through the steps and taking the actual time to do it is way better than anything you can get out of trying to cheat the system and just like skip to the finish line. Yep. Well, and that's what it's all about for me. Like, you know, we can talk about what the benefits may or may not be. Um, but for me, like I just enjoy the process. I just like learning something. Um, it's cool to connect with something that's been done for thousands of years in uh, like basically the same way. Like making bread has not changed since the first person figured out to, you know, to leaven it and throw it in the oven. Like it has not changed. Um, it's cool to connect with something like that. Yeah. So are you going to keep learning different types of bread, different, you know, different bakeries? Is there a cool bakery in your neighborhood that you like going to? Or um, is it the sourdough thing? You're going to keep just keep chugging along. You're happy where you're at and kind of then on to the next venture. 
yeah, you know me. Like I'm always on to the next one. I'm never gonna make sourdough bread my my main core hobby. <laughs> I've uh, I've played around with some things. This guy, um, I think, listeners, if you are interested in checking this out and exploring more, there's a guy named Maurizio Leo um, that has a website called The Perfect Loaf. He's got really really wonderful articles and descriptions of stuff. Um, he recently put out a uh, post on a bomboloni, which are Italian. Uh, naturally leavened donuts or I should say they're Italian donuts and they can be naturally leavened of course and uh, I, I, I took the plunge and, and made them one weekend uh, around Easter and they were absolutely unbelievably good um, so they that was kind of fun I was say, did, you put, did you put powdered sugar on top dude I, no I put cinnamon sugar on them the and sugar. Uh, oh, okay. yeah and uh, vanilla um, pastry cream filling. I mean, dude, they Let's were or no, uh, vanilla <laughs> so lemon. Right now. Hold on, pastry I gotta, cream filling. I gotta pull these up to show Chris. Oh, you guys, here. they were absolutely incredible. And what was cool for me personally um, is like I looked at that recipe and that blog post, and I was like this is too hard. Like I, I, I'm not capable of this. You know, there's a lot of steps you got to make, make in every individual one. Um, it's an enriched dough. So like an enriched dough involves adding eggs and sugar and stuff like that to the dough. And then you of course have to fry them. And I was just like, I can't do this. And I tackled it anyway. And they turned out just absolutely amazing. So that was a lot of fun. Um, you know, I'll try stuff like that here and there, but I'm uh, mostly like, okay, I've gotten what I need out of it onto the next interesting project. All right. So off the bread topic then, what is the next interesting project? Oh, dude, I don't even know yet. I, I get random. I'm like you, man. I get random whims and hairs, uh, and, and then that's the next thing we're doing. I think uh, we were talking about the 24 hours of lemons race car. That might be, that might be the next project. Definitely, you're going to have to learn how to weld this up a cage. And maybe even a well so yeah i've been welding for the past like year or so so i think that i may have the the ability but i've but what's interesting about that is like we talk about skills and stuff like i think i can hack the welding it's actually the fitting um if you're building like a roll cage and like a tube chassis mm-hmm. uh it's it's actually the fitting and fabricating that i don't necessarily have the skill yet but i can develop it all right so for everyone that's listening, because that was a, a huge shift, what can you tell everyone? What is the lemons? What is the t- the twenty four hours of lemons? Okay, so most people probably have heard of the twenty four four hours of Le Mans. It's like the the most historic twenty four hour endurance race in the world. Um, they also run twenty four hours of uh, Sebring and some f- few other courses, right? Yeah. But yeah, Le- Le but lemons is definitely the most uh, famous. Yeah, for sure. Um, if you haven't seen the film, too, it's it's spectacular. But anyway, lemons is essentially doing twenty four hour endurance race with the shittiest car that you can possibly find. It you can spend no more than five hundred dollars, uh, <laughs> and I guess you just kind of hope you get to the finish line. So we've been talking about doing that in uh, December in Atlanta. So. Oh, of course not. We're definitely going to have our work cut out for us. No doubt about that. But Finishing is probably the hardest part. Yeah. Actually, finishing is one of the hardest parts of Le Mans in general, and then you do it with a $500 car, and it's just an entirely different <laughs> ball game. So is it one person, or do you have like a team and you can take turns? Or you have a te- I'm sure you can switch drivers. You must have to be able to switch drivers. And Typically, yeah, you can. I think then you're just limited as far as, you know, what, well, you're probably not even limited as far as what repairs and what you could do. It's really just an issue of, do you want to take the time to, to make it happen out of the race during your pit stop? But, well, that's cool, man. Anything else? Uh, Restoration projects or machine shop things, or I feel like, are are you going to Italy this summer? Uh, I am, yeah. Well, so summer generally is sort of like skydiving season, so the the uh, the projects kind of tend to wind down in the summer. Uh, I am headed to Italy in May, and I'm actually going to be going to Monaco for the Formula One race, um, which is super exciting. Like I've been to a few F1 races, but Monaco, going to Monaco with my dad has kind of always been 
um, like one of those bucket list type things. And, and my dad's getting up there in the years. He's 75, 75. So, you know, not going to be able to do that forever. So we finally pulled the trigger. And I have to say, this F1 season has already been incredible. So I think we picked a good year to finally do it. Yeah, man. I'm super excited for you to be able to check that box. I was hoping that we'd be able to join you, but my wife, uh, for whatever reason, decided she didn't want to spend her 40th birthday at a Formula One race. So <laughs> you know. I don't understand. It's Monaco. <laughs> right? I, that's, what I, that's what I said almost <laughs> verbatim, but still shot me down. So... In any event, um, well, where can uh, where can people find you on the web, man? Social media. I'm looking. I had some kind of internet problem here, but finally, this picture yeah. of these uh, Bomboloni came up. Wow, so those look like professional. Yeah, right. I I'm not gonna lie. Like they turned out really good. <laughs> they look pretty fucking amazing. So so yeah. Um, yeah, if people are looking for me, check out delanave.com. Uh, that's my website. Uh, I've got a an email list, and the the first like if you sign up for the email list, I've got a guide um, that kind of goes into some skills that I think are really cool. Um, how to shoot a pistol, which um, you guys are featured in the with the some of the shooting program stuff. Um, how I grill steaks perfectly, which kind of includes one of my little life hacks for cooking in there. I won't give it away. And uh, some other really useful, basic, fundamental life skills. Yeah. So, yeah, if, if you're interested, check that out. Check it out. Sign up for David's email list. I uh, I love reading the emails you send out every week, man. They're always super interesting. Ne- thanks, man. I appreciate that. Never redundant. Always good. So thanks for joining us. It's always a pleasure, and I guarantee you we will do it again if, uh, if you're not bored of us and you're willing to. So, Absolutely. Thanks, man. I always enjoy it. Thanks for listening, everyone. Coming at you live Thanks, from Softly HQ. Bye. See you, man. Yeah. Good to see we'll, you. We'll talk to you later.